1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today.
0: Welcome back to uh, Amplifying, Where our guest this evening is Father Dwight Loddengecker. We're talking about his latest book of over 20 books, Immortal Combat, Confronting the Heart of Darkness. He's only able to stay with us till 1030. And then I will do my best to close the program with uh, the final part of the book. Uh, I won't be able to do it as good as you, Father, but I I will certainly do my best. But um, I'm trying to make the um, transition to uh, part two of the book, which is so critical. Sword of the Light, you speak about murder, or you write about murder and the mob, um, and the fascination with the geography of Dante's Hill, Hell, excuse me, hell, the deeper you go into hell, the more serious the crimes. There are are ten tribes or deceivers, and and you write, In our self-righteousness and pride, we turn our darkest dynamic of lies into our own little religion. And in so doing, we believe that our Heavenly Father is pleased with us. But we are mistaken. It is not our Eternal Father who is pleased with us. It is our infernal Father. Father, our real father, the father of lies, Satan established this perverted pattern among his kidnapped children. The people of the lie continued to stride down the path of power, pride, and prejudice, rivalry, resentment, and revenge. And here we're we're talking about um, Satan's way, Lucifer's way, uh, of um, bringing us over to evil. They blamed others for their own frustration and fear and seeking a solution. They mocked, persecuted, excluded, and finally killed the ones they perceived as the problem. They could never see that they were in fact the problem. Rivalry among themselves, simply simmering resentment, blaming others and the threat of revenge. And uh, it's, 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 you wonder why we we don't we don't get it Tell us a little bit about the the satanic system that is everywhere in human history that God had a plan it began with one man Abraham we know a little bit about God's plan at least we ought to and uh, and if you could say again a little bit about how the system of sacrifice has changed
1: yeah um, what I what I've tried to remember what I'm trying to do all the way through here is to explain, why the cross is important, why a crucifix is important, why we say that the death of Jesus Christ is the most important thing about our faith. Um, And to do that, I've tried to explain how this system of sacrifice worked in the ancient world. And so um, Rene Girard, again, is very good on this. He points out that when this pride and prejudice uh, begins to operate at a social level, that we get together with the members of our tribe, uh, and we... Uh, focus on the one person or the group of people who are different from us who we blame for our difficulties. And um, the, the way it works is, is that once we, we get together in a group, we identify another group or another person and say, well, that person is the, pro- the wrong. They're the problem. Uh, we don't have a problem because we're right, um, and that goes without saying. So therefore, somebody else must be the problem. Somebody else is causing a problem. And we identify who that is. And it might be the person really is the cause of the problem, but they may not be at all. They might be an innocent victim, but we have focused on them because they're different. Maybe they're of a different race, a different religion. Maybe they're just unusual. Maybe they're, they're more exceptional than everybody else, or maybe they're sub, substandard to everybody else. But whatever it is, they're different, and we focus our rage and our blame on them. Sure. Um, but of course, that's never good enough, because we, if we still have a problem, we have to get rid of the problem. And the only if the other person is the cause of the problem, the only way to get rid of the problem is to get rid of the cause of the problem, which means we isolate that person, we exclude them. But if the problem continues, it's logical that we say, well, we have to get rid of the, the problem, we have to get rid of that person. And so the tribe will take that person, and they will kill them. And in a primitive situation, this began to turn into the sacrificial system. So um, after they killed the person ceremonially to get rid of the problem, they all felt really good because they said, hooray, we've got rid of the problem, we feel terrific. They would have a meal to celebrate. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about primitive societies here. Um, But then, of course, next week or next month or next year, another problem would come along and they would say, well... We figured out how to solve a problem before it was by killing that person, so now we have to find another person who is the problem. And so it, the cycle continues. And before long, this cycle actually becomes part of a sacrificial system. Um, the other night I watched Mel Gibson's film Ap- Apocalypto, oh, yes. which is, uh, takes place in, a, in the uh, Americas, the, the Middle America uh, in the 16th century, and shows the uh, Mayan um, civilization where they were doing human sacrifice, Um, by the thousands, because they were trying to please the gods by getting rid of the problem. Uh, And uh, therefore, what primitive societies did was they turned this into a sacrificial system, into an actual religion, that God must be happy with them because they're solving the problem. Therefore, we need to make more sacrifices to gods to make them happy with us. And so in the ancient system, they... Uh, this grew out of the, the rivalry and the revenge I was talking about, and that sacrificial system yes. came about. Eventually a religion, they turned into a religion. And so um, when Jesus comes in the middle of all this, um, he accepts it. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. Uh, he's the sacrifice, uh, and he by accepting this whole system, this evil system, he breaks it from the inside out. He says, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to take this on, and I am going to— Um, accept the blame uh, that you want to put on somebody. And because he's the Son of God and he rises from the dead, he therefore defeats it from the inside. And nothing else could defeat it because it was so pervasive.
0: Tell us um, a little bit, um, jumping back just um, uh, a little, uh, about the simple story of the triumph of the secret son. And Jesus is the secret son. Um, You point out that many others have represented him since then, um, but it's a story that explains everything. Many people remake him in their their own images. Uh, There are fake uh, or phony Jesuses, but you point out that the real Jesus remains a mystery. In what sense is that true?
1: Well, what I've done then in the second half of the book is tried to show that this system of evil, this Thing we call the sin of the world, which I've been talking about, is so pervasive and so complete in the world and so much a part of human nature. And furthermore, we're blind to it. We don't really see it in ourselves because of our pride and prejudice um, and because of the way we've masked it with religion and masked it with being so-called good people. Because we're blind to it and the system is so per- pervasive, the entire globe, the entire human race is dominated by this. And uh, God can't break in because he's not going to force his way in, and so God's plan from the beginning was to come in secretly into Satan's realm, which was this world, which was dominated by this pervasive system, the sin of the world, and that God's plan was to come in secretly, uh, to come in as uh, an enemy agent, if you like, in enemy territory. Now, this means that the story of the Gospels and the story of God's plan in the world is intensely dramatic. This, this is a the stuff of 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 the most exciting movies of spies and double agents and going into enemy territory. Right, <laughs> it's yes. impossible right. stuff, you know. And this suddenly makes the story of Jesus um very exciting because he's um, a lone secret agent in a whole world, a whole um territory, which is um, opposed to him, and is wrapped up in this system of lies and deceit and murder um, and covering it all up. Uh, and he's the one that God sends into this territory to um, uh, appear as a an ordinary country preacher um, until Satan finally figures out who he really is, and then it's too late.
0: Right. He is a wounded warrior is one of the titles you like to use.
1: He comes in as the wounded warrior. He comes in as the small man, the secret man, um, when I called him the secret son. Now, one of the things which is, intrigues me so much is that this idea of the secret son, the uh, hidden person, the hidden hero who actually um, comes up from nothing and defeats the big bad guys, this, this is something which occurs in our, fu- our superhero movies and in our films and in our mythologies time and time again. One of the examples I've used, for instance, is Luke Skywalker in the Star, War- Star Wars movie. Um, he is there as an ordinary orphan kid living with his aunt and uncle on this faraway planet uh, as, a, on, as a farm boy. And it's only as the story unfolds that he discovers his true destiny, and he's meant to be this great hero, this great knight who's going to overcome uh, the forces of darkness and, and Darth Vader and all that great stuff. Uh, well, My point is that this story of the secret agent, the secret uh, little guy, the the, the the humble person who comes up out of nowhere to defeat a terrible evil. This crops up time and time again in the myth, the, the ancient myths, in superhero stories, um, in superhero movies, in comic books, and in and in science fiction. And uh, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, the, the little hero. of of Frodo, who goes on this great adventure to defeat this terrible evil, but he's the tiny little guy um, who still makes it secretly into the enemy territory. Oh, these stories reverberate, and we love them. We love these stories. We do, Movie yes. Storymakers love the stories. Novelists love these stories, and that's the story of the gospel. You can see I get pretty excited by it.
0: <laughs> For sure, and I, it would be, wouldn't it be nice if we all could be? Say that again? Wouldn't it be nice if we all could get excited about it? And the, reason I,
1: <laughs> the reason I think so many people have gone off Christianity and gone off the faith is because we've watered this down and ignored this aspect of the faith, which is, has been there from the beginning. The, the fathers of the Church understood it, the writers of the Gospel understood it, uh, the compilers of the Scriptures understood it, and we in our modern age have, as, on the one hand, in popular culture— in comic books and video games and and movies and fantasy literature, we have latched onto it and love it, but we've we've somehow been blind to the fact that the same story is the story which reverberates through the Bible and comes into focus in the Gospels,
0: and and even in the midst of that uh, Satan's hold, you write on his dread kingdom sometimes uh, seems uh, absolute. Uh, how is it that? you can liberate slaves who mistake their slavery for security when we so misunderstand our role and, and our own uniqueness.
1: Yes, I, I'm sorry I can't stay with you for the whole um, yes. uh, program this evening. I was unsure of, of the, length, the length of time, Father, but I would encourage people to go and read my blog at Um And I write about these topics quite a lot and speak about them elsewhere. And um, because I think it is an intriguing topic, which many of your listeners will really be interested to tune in and learn more about.
0: Okay, well then, is this the time to say goodbye then? Well, it's up to you. You're the one controlling the program, but I
1: just wanted to give my apologies that I can't stay for the last segment. Oh, But um, if if we have a few more minutes, I'm I'm happy to stay here with you.
0: Okay, Uh, good. Um, You uh, speak about the little lady And here you draw upon an example from the Lord of the Rings, the woman who set in motion the Dark Lord's uh, defeat. And maybe we we can, in the last few minutes, say a little bit about that. You write that, To overcome everyday evil, we must say, Thy will, not mine, be done. The first action and prayer of each day must be, Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Without this prayer... Every other prayer is nothing but empty words, but with this prayer, every other prayer in action is infused with divine power. And you speak about her as the the perfect enemy agent and a devastating warrior in immortal combat, and here we're talking about Mary, aren't we?
1: Yes, and one of the things I point out is that Satan is a proud spirit. He, he's the sort of person, the sort of individual who wants to strut on the stage and take uh, the, the limelight and, and be the great guy and be the, the one on top. And so, God, with a wonderful sense of humor, undermines him, first of all, by using someone that Satan would never in a million years even suspect. And that is a little girl, a young woman, a peasant woman, someone that Satan, in <coughs> his pride, would have battled. And um, he uses the Blessed Virgin Mary, this peasant girl to introduce his son into the world. um, And he takes his flesh from the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Satan would never in a million years have have predicted this or even suspected it. And so there, in this tiny little village of Nazareth, um, this peasant girl, this very ordinary, simple girl, would have been totally overlooked by Satan. And that's how God gets his toehold. That's how God enters into the world and sends his son to begin to be the secret son to, to, to lay his great plan to defeat Satan. The whole thing's very exciting and very dramatic. Um, and Mary, the Blessed Virgin, uh, is this character who is the exa- exact opposite of Satan. Satan's the big guy. He's the one who struts. He's the one who's going to win, win, win. He's the one who's going to come out on top and defeat everybody by his lies, by his deceitfulness, uh, and by his pride. And here's this little girl. Um, sort of you can see, almost see her sort of quietly on a beautiful day tripping down to the village well to get some water uh just like any other girl and yet she is uh the one that God's going to use she's going to turn things around uh and and upset everything so yeah it's it's uh we begin to see her in that light and we begin to love her even more
0: and um the world i think one of the critical um themes throughout the book is that you speak about the world of the dark lord which could be lucifer it is the festering fruit of pride power and prejudice it is driven relentlessly by the resentment rivalry and revenge always churning within the heart of man and and in this midst you say comes a The little lady, her virginity is not defined by something she has never done, but by who she is. But resentment, rivalry, and revenge, we have to apply to our own lives, don't we?
1: Exactly. And very often these things are hidden. But it doesn't take long before we can all examine ourselves and say, you know, um, yeah, I've been hurt. Uh, I bore a grudge. Um, I wanted to get back at that person. Uh, and even if my, my revenge and rivalry was at a low level, I still know the bitterness of it. I know what it's like to be thinking about all the time and wanting to get back at that person and being frustrated. And so we can sympathize with other people who carry this resentment in their hearts and understand what it really is like um, and realizing also the only thing we can do is to face it uh, and um, admit what we're doing and break that spell by turning to the one who broke it for good. Uh, on the cross,
0: and um, let me read um, with your presence here uh, a final passage from a book. Because the Dark Lord is a strutting Darth Vader, he is a ham actor, one who loves the spotlight and the adoring applause. He sees himself as a great lord of the world. He loves the processions of power, the trappings and ceremonies of grandeur. He envisions himself surrounded by a court of admiring lackeys enthroned and served by an army of dedicated devotees, for God to begin his rescue mission with a peasant girl? It was unthinkable, impossible. Satan would never, ever in a million years imagine that the Almighty would stoop so low he was incapable of imagining the secret plan. Our story this evening, sorry, story, excuse me. Our guest this evening has been Father Dwight Longenecker. We're talking about his book, Immortal Combat Confronting the Heart of Darkness. Thank you so very much for being with us. And a uh, wonderful book. i really enjoyed thank you it.
1: Thank for the invitation. It's been a great, it's a great, great conversation. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Good night. And uh, so we'll, we'll carry on here uh, uh, after the break. Um, with uh, the last part of the book, as best as I can do it. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it, you can, you can tell. Um, and uh, never as good as, as the, uh, the author can in terms of how he, he can interpret even so much better for us and make those applications to what's happening in the world today. And he made the references more than once to uh, the people who have fostered of violence in our in our communities in various ways, from the higher levels to the to the lower levels. We'll be back after this break. Welcome back to uh, Amplify. We have about uh, twenty-two minutes left in the program. I'm going to try to uh, summarize some of the themes from our guests with some kind of mix-up. He um, could only stay until. Uh, 1030 and i'm I'm grateful for that um the title of the book is immortal combat confronting the heart of darkness and here we're talking about uh, about evil we're talking about the evil one we're talking about lucifer um and uh it's something that at the beginning of the book uh, he asks what does it mean to say uh jesus died for us and and he answers the, the question himself, how could the execution of a political prisoner 2,000 years ago possibly wash away the naughty things you and I have done? How does that work? How can it be that the death of a wandering preacher takes away the sin of the world? And when he speaks about the sin of the world, he's speaking of it collectively all the sins of the world, all of the evil that exists in the world. How can that possibly happen that it seems like it, it's just too good to be true? Let's begin with ourselves. How is it that God forgives because he loves us so much, our own sins, by what he did, by giving up his own life in the most terrible way that could be done at that particular time, no greater punishment, no greater pain at that time but he he writes suddenly you will see it if you slow down and you look at life you look within yourself you'll be able to answer that question what does it mean to say Jesus died to save us for our sins how would you answer that about your sins and my sins but he thinks we we can understand it you're going to understand it not only with your head. You're not; It's not something you're going to rationalize because there's not going to be enough of an answer to satisfy you, but rather he success, suggests that you'll do it with your heart. There are just some things in life that have to be answered with our heart. They cannot be answered with our mind. But, but then he says... And if you really believe that Jesus did what he did, then your heart's going to be broken. But that's not a bad thing. For only when your heart is broken can the good Lord enter in. How true that is. Who, who has opened your heart? How has it been opened? In good times, certainly, but in bad times, too. Um... Watching, we continue to watch stories where people have been cared for by medical staff and overcome coronavirus. There's a story on 60 Minutes uh, tonight about people um, who were just on the verge of being put on a ventilator, which is the, the the last step in trying to save a person's life, but were able to go through an experimental. Type of um, help, and um, they pulled out of it. And that's when the heart gets open. Think about the moments when your heart has been open. How about when they are open to the Lord? What a difference it makes. The first thing to remember is that the naughty things we have done, even if they are actually very wicked, are not the same thing as the sin of the world. They're only symptoms of the real world. The second thing to remember is that this sickness is hidden from us. It lives to deceive and loves to disguise itself. Satan loves to disguise himself. He, he, he would hate this book or anything like it because he does not want the truth known about him. I believe that the virus ultimately came from him his his many angels fallen angels are not just those who followed him from heaven but there are those who do his work on earth for whatever reason they choose to do that sometimes not even realizing that they are doing it because the that kind of sin is camouflage it's uh it's master lucifer is what he calls our guest calls a shapeshifter, a master of disguise and subterfuge and we are blind to the very sickness that needs to be healed and he used the symbol of a labyrinth at the beginning of the book and he says that this he writes the sin of the world is a labyrinth of lies layer upon layer of interlaced interdependent deceptions beneath a veneer of honesty, which means truly it isn't what you think it is. Our hearts are not filled with resentment, rivalry, and revenge. When Jesus saves us from the sin of the world, instinctively we turn away from darkness. Our life changes. We deny the truth and lies begin to spiral and spin and like a spider weaving a web. We quickly learn to create false images of ourselves. So life has become so different for us and in so many ways. And we can become shape shifters, people of the lie as we create False images and artificial worlds. We we believe what we are doing is good, that we are good people, and therefore, because I think I'm good, what I'm doing must be good. And we talked about that during the first hour of the the program, that we devote huge amounts of our emotional, mental, and spiritual resources to constructing and projecting our fantasy selves. And most alarming, he writes, is the fact that we often use religion as a part of this enterprise. We talk specifically about that and how religion can be a source of subterfuge for us. We use religion to complete the polished effect, making ourselves into a nice, clean, happy people we want to believe ourselves to be when we are we're anything but that. And there are pains, there are problems in the world, and we're experiencing right now almost at every level of our being. Things go wrong, and we are not, in fact, practically perfect in every way. And yet, Instead of looking within ourselves, every time you blame or judge another person, you participate in the sin of the world. We must first of all look deep within ourselves before we look at others. And so the, this, what he refers to as a sick downward spiral, is so pervasive and permanent because we're blind to it. We don't even realize what we're doing. We don't realize that what we're saying or what we're doing is contributing to what Lucifer is hoping we would do, aspiring we would would do in his own powerful way. Um, it's like we are changed, chained, chained in a cave with our back to the light, and all we can see are shadows, and we believe the shadows to be reality. When in life the shadows become reality, then we, we have real problems because then we begin to live a lie while we think we're living the truth and think we're doing good. And that's, that's the secret way in which Lucifer works. We need to understand his plan and how he does things. And how, sometimes in our weakness, we can fall into that mode of living. And yet, as soon as Jesus appeared on the scene at his baptism, he was attacked. Remember how he was, the next thing we hear about, he's in the desert for 40 days. Some believe that it was probably a lot longer than that because that was kind of an image that was used at that time and he's being attacked by the evil one who sees his goodness and god sees your and excuse me satan sees your your goodness god knows it of course he put it there he sees your goodness as soon as you're baptized and when that happens you become vulnerable it's almost like you put in into the desert with with satan and jesus knew who the enemy in his life was and the question is do we do we really know who the enemy in in our life is the enemy was satan um those his followers are the people of the lie sometimes it was in jesus's time the respectable religious leaders the scribes and masters of the law and scholars of religion they were people of the lie in his time and um one could say they were children of satan children of satan and the gospel writers lay out the terrifying story step by step in terms of how what they do to jesus first of all they want to make him king as he comes into Jerusalem and then the people are turned against him and call out for his crucifixion and his and his death but and there's a sense in which it's a kind of a game and Jesus then defeats the Dark Lord He he defeats Lucifer at his own game and and our, our guest wrote this. This is what all the barbaric human sacrifices down the ages looked toward for. Looked, excuse me, looked toward. And here they are obliterated forever because they are transcended. That which was a dark prediction of the future is vanquished by the fulfillment of the foreshadowing. Here, all the sacrifices and all the cultures of the world are wiped away by the one, full, final sacrifice. They simply vanish and fade as the vampire beast shrivels and dies at the rising of the sun. This is why the Lord Jesus came to be the Lamb, to be the the Lamb of God, to be the sacrifice. This is why he came, to take the blame. It's almost like Jesus say, don't blame yourself, blame me. Take, I'll take it on myself. I'll take all the sins of the world on myself. And this is why he came, to rescue us. This is why he came, to smash the evil ways that exist in the world once and for all. And we know that, even though it may appear that we're losing many battles now, we have reason to hope because the person who became the victim, has also has has also become, the victor. And um, when we when we view the, what was happening in in Gehenna, we refer to it as as a garbage dump, um, at, at the one time. Uh, it was, it was that, but it was a place where there was a huge image of Moloch, uh, a hollow bronze statue and a fire burned at the base of the statue. And at that time, if you wanted a favor from God, it was believed that you had to sacrifice something you loved. And the greatest sacrifice was to sacrifice a child. And so one by one, parents would bring their children and place them into the burning hands of the god. It was a huge um, statue of this of this demon, and it was uh, hollow. And you would just walk into the statue itself and 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 um, sacrifice your children. Um, but the secret son of God is the source of all, and so the Lord of Death. The great Moloch collapsed from inside out, as our guest explained. The Death Star exploded. The dark tower of Modor caved in on itself. The Lord of Death could not contain the Lord of Life any more than the darkness can hold back the dawn or the freezing cold extinguish the flame. And so we reached a point where the victim became the victor. And it was only by becoming the victim that he could become the victor. And when he rose again on this feast of uh, Pentecost today, it's not the resurrection, but I'm saying we're still celebrating that great mystery, the ascension, and now Pentecost, 50 days later, when God's Spirit comes to us and becomes a part of us, dwells within us. And so as Jesus rises again, it suddenly becomes as clear and bright as a spring morning. Our guest writes that something else of cosmic importance has taken place. Death was defeated. The sin of the world was taken away, taken away forever. The pattern was now established for the continuing war against the dark world. Lord of this world. So the victory has been won. It just needs to be played out. And we know we're going to be victorious. And our guest suggests that God's way is always small, secret and sacrificial. And this is why the cross of Christ is central to everything. Once we realize how the death of Jesus, or the death and resurrection of Jesus, takes away the sin of the world, the next thing we need to do, he writes, is to discover how to take up our crosses and follow him. We have crosses that we need to take up in life. And so the astonishing words of St. Paul echo in our hearts, we preach Christ and him sacrificed, and I have resolved to know nothing but the cross of Christ. And so the first step of that way, of the cross is the way of penitence. Only the penitent man may pass. You may remember this that image and quote from the Indiana Jones uh, film, and. And how penitence has changed, uh, has indeed changed uh, the world uh, in that uh, Jesus broke that spell by stepping up and taking the responsibility upon himself. Again, you want to blame somebody? Blame me, he said. I'll take the guilt. I'll pick up the trash. I'll take this sick cycle and break it from inside out. And when he did this, he opened the way for human beings to take responsibility for themselves. And he gave us the power to make us a truly free and independent choice to change the situation, to change ourselves, and to change the world. Can you really believe that, that you can help to change the world? We, we do that by aligning ourselves with uh, his victory, with Jesus' victory, by putting ourselves into, into Christ, his cross and his resurrection, And this is what St. Paul means when he writes, quote, Are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And he repeats, baptized into Christ. We have put on the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is in us. That's what we celebrate today. He is in us. It's not just a metaphor, a symbol, or a religious way of speaking. It is indeed a reality. He is in us. And a few of my own closing words then. Um, In a world um, where there is an ever-increasing struggle between good and evil, whether it's the coronavirus or whether it's the violence we've seen, still continues today, some cities between the best and the worst that is within us and around us, we need then to be constantly reminded that good is the stronger force. We have reason to believe that because of what Jesus did. God needs and loves each one of us. And so now, now is the time to become more sensitive to what is happening to us and to others, to those around us, uh, now is the time to overcome the boredom that destroys Jew, joy. Some, some people have grown bored, well, bored to death during this period, not knowing what to do. Others have found new ways to, to enjoy life. And so now is the time to discover what God is doing for us now is the time to uh, to keep a promise to overcome a grudge it's time to share something you love it's uh, the time to forgive to forgive someone if we're holding on to something we've refused to forgive to apologize uh, to try to try to understand now is the time for us to Examine our demands on others, the expectations we have of others, to appreciate. Now is the time to be kind and gentle. Now is the time to speak your love. And as I close each week, don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now, that you love him or her, pray for peace as if it depended on you alone, and come back next Sunday and amplify with us.